Uh, so as Christopher said, I'm an anthropologist, uh, and I've been spending the past decade or so researching um, the people who build music recommender systems, which I sometimes have to tell people what they are, but I don't think I have to here. In any case, today, uh, I'm not going to talk about that, except indirectly. I'm going to talk about the anthropology of trapping. Uh, so as we've seen, uh, images of artificial intelligence usually look something like this, blue, humanoid, futuristic, uh, complex. The argument I want to make for you today is that we can make sense of certain kinds of artificial intelligences, particularly recommender systems, by thinking about technologies like this. This is a fish trap from South Asia. Uh, you can see, imagine, probably, how it works uh, just by looking at it. You put something in the corner, and a fish comes in, and those thorny calamus ribs uh, keep the fish there. This is from the Pitt Rivers Museum of, of Anthropology at Oxford. Um, and I want to suggest that traps like this, or like this eel trap from Papua New Guinea, uh, can give us models for thinking about what's going on uh, in a recommender system and how we might want to change how they work. So anthropologists have been interested in traps for a long time. Uh, traps are, as many of people in my field have argued, some of the earliest automatic technologies, right? So this is a machine for making an eel capture itself, right? You put a little frog uh, at the back, the eel swims in, eats it, the bow flips up, the door shuts, and you have a sort of mailing tube uh, with, an eel, uh, with an eel in it. Uh, what's interesting about this kind of device, uh, aside from being sort of nifty and, and mechanical, um, there we go, uh, is that in its sort of Automatic, automaticness, it has something like an image of its creator bound up into it. Um, Otis Mason, who was a curator of ethnology at the Smithsonian in 1900, um, described traps as having the thought of the hunter locked up inside of them. So this is a kind of model of thinking about technology we often associate today with fairly recent theories of technology. You know, oh, it's about, oh, it's about delegating your agency into devices. This is what traps have been doing for people for, uh, for a long time. This trap is from uh, northern Brazil, uh, and it's sometimes called the trap that turns fish into fruit uh, because the fish goes in, bites the thing, and gets flung up into the air and sort of hangs from a tree uh, like, it's, uh, like it's fruit uh, to pick. Uh, and so in these traps, there we go, um, you literally sometimes see this sort of negative image of the hunter. In this arrow trap from South America, uh, you can almost see the hunter there on the side sort of pulling the bow, uh, pointing it um, at its prey. So there is in any of these technologies a kind of negative image of their maker, of the hunter, of the kind of agency they want to put out into the world. But on the other side, they also have a sort of image of their prey in them, because the only way that these automatic technologies work is if they can entice their prey to play the role that they're supposed to. So a trap like this East African bird trap works because birds are small, uh, because they like to peck at the ground, uh, and because they don't have arms, uh, and so they can get tangled up uh, in this sort of netting, which then can be uh, you know, picked up. Um, a similar mechanism trap uh, from, a, from the same region uh, for antelope is strung up this way, and instead of catching something that pecks at the ground, it catches a kind of animal that tries to run quickly between, between trees, right? So there's a kind of picture of the thing you're trying to catch as well inside of the trap. We have these sort of this two-sidedness. Um, so the anthropologist Alfred Gell, writing at the end of the 20th century um, in a sort of influential article on traps and artwork, actually, um, suggests that we can read these traps as texts on animal behavior. They're like a kind of writing that if you look at them, you can understand how the people who made them understood animals, right? So it's not that this is objectively what antelopes are like, but that this is what the people who build these traps think 
antelopes are like. Uh, sometimes that sort of negative space image is fairly literal, as in this amazing picture of a giraffe trap, uh, which is sort of the giraffe outline uh, that you wait for a giraffe to, to, to end up in. Um, or in this case, uh, a rat trap, which, as Alfred Gell also argues, is a kind of lethal parody of the animal's umwelt, which is a way of saying uh, it's a version of the sensory environment that these animals find themselves in uh, that's aimed at purposes beyond their own, usually to kill them. Um, so a rat trap, right? A rat that likes to sort of forage around in small, dark places looking for food uh, will find its last small, dark place in here. Okay, so the big takeaway, or one of the big takeaways from the anthropology of animal trapping is that traps have two faces. They're a kind of technological situation where hunter and prey meet. So as the anthropologist Alberto Corsin Jimenez has argued, uh, traps are ma sorry, material and epistemic interfaces between worlds. They're the place where these two kinds of entities meet, like a spider and a fly landing in the web. It's this situation um, where an elephant learns, unfortunately, what humans are like, uh, and humans also can learn a bit about what elephants are like over the process of building these kinds of systems. Right? So there's a theory of elephant behavior built into this trap that's designed to catch elephants. Should I tell you? Yeah, okay, I'll there's a chimpanzee trap that's like this. Um, I can just tell you this because I think this is interesting, uh, which is much sadder in some ways than this. It's this very similar structure trap, except that chimpanzees are very curious. And so the way to capture a chimpanzee is actually to just tie that string to something on the ground. And the chimpanzee will come and investigate it in the process of investigating the string, will intentionally, accidentally, pull the thing. So the elephant's gonna blunder through unintentionally, the chimpanzee is going to do it to themselves. Okay, so that's our sort of anthropology of trapping. Now, you are probably familiar uh, with this kind of argument, which is popular nowadays, that computers are a kind of human trap, right? That we might say, like, okay, I, I wouldn't get fooled by one of those. Um, and then we end up finding ourselves glued to screens uh, and, you know, uh, getting caught the same way that we might say, you know, I, I don't understand how you, like, the giraffe from a few screens ago, how's the giraffe gonna fall in the giraffe-shaped hole? Um, so. You know, come on, bears. How can you possibly let yourself get stuck in this? Now, this is a popular theme. I'm sure you've heard it before. Uh, it's in a lot of contemporary tech criticism. So this is Charlie Brooker, the creator of the digital dystopian series Black Mirror, uh, who describes his show like this. He says, every single character in all these stories is trapped from the very first frame and, they get, and then never gets out. Uh, or more recently, we see in The Social Dilemma on Netflix, uh, of course, uh, this sort of dramatization of social media as a kind of trap for humans, uh, and this sort of motif of the trap as being a way that people have nowadays to talk about why these systems are bad, right? Why they should be done away with, why they should be changed, why they should be um, uh, reimagined. So in The Social Dilemma, we see this guy, uh, among other people, uh, getting caught up because of, they will describe it as um, uh, human weakness, right? There's this kind of animal quality that humans have that makes us susceptible to something like Instagram likes, or seeing you know, a, a streak on Snapchat or something like that. Um, the problem here is that we are in situations where we're being preyed on, this is a still from the, from the same film, um, in uh, settings where that deny our agency, that manipulate us, and sort of put us in settings out of our control. This wonderful line from the movie, two billion, because of these systems, two billion people will have thoughts that they didn't intend to have. I love this line in part because I just want you to think about what it would mean to have a thought on purpose 
I don't know. In any case, there's, there's something here, obviously, about uh, an anxiety about these systems putting us in situations where we're like animals. We don't want to be like animals. We don't want to be reminded uh, that, we are, uh, that we are animals. Now, many of the critics in this space rely on work by a colleague of mine, the anthropologist Natasha Dow-Shul, who has a fabulous book um, called Addiction by Design, which is about the design of slot machines and also about the experience of machine gambling addicts. If you haven't read this book, I highly recommend it. Uh, there are many moments in this book where, where she describes uh, the design of these systems as trap-like, right? as some kind of like insidious thing that's getting people to work against their own interests. Or she quotes a machine gambling addict, says, when I gamble, I feel like a rat in a trap. Now, the machine gambling addicts also like it. So there's an interesting sort of dynamic that we see uh, in uh, Shul's work that we don't always see uh, as clearly in the sort of social dilemma style critiques of these technologies, which is that people who find themselves caught up in these human traps often enjoy it. And it's not very straightforward what we should do about the fact that, okay, you might get trapped in Instagram because you like seeing likes, but you like it. You actually do like seeing likes. Uh, and these you know, critiques will suggest that maybe you shouldn't like that. Maybe you should revisit your preferences uh, and change the way that you behave. Uh, and that would be one, you know, one way to deal with it. Um, what I've found in my research with the developers of music recommender systems is that it's not only critics who describe these systems as a kind of trap. So when I talk to people developing music recommenders over the past decade or so, they use phrases like this. They say, you know, how can we capture indifferent listeners? How can we get people to uh, you know, use this system who wouldn't have used it otherwise? We want to get our users to stick around, right? We don't talk about stickiness on websites so much anymore, but we want to, you know, we want to make our websites sticky, um, or I'm just trying to get you hooked. The goal of these designs of these systems is, in their own terms, sort of trap-like. There's something about them uh, that's designed to capture people. The uh, Hooked, of course, was also the title of a popular book uh, from 2013 uh, by the consultant Nir Eyal, which promoted his Hook model, um, designed specifically to capture users for platforms and other promotional images. It's not a thing clicking on a brain. It's literally a fish hook uh, grabbing, someone by, <laughs> grabbing someone by the brain. Um, this, anyone who's familiar with the sort of history of behaviorist psychology will recognize this kind of like reinforcement model as something that's sort of borrowed from, uh, from behaviorism. But this was an intentional business model, right? This is something people are trying to on purpose. So coming out as a critic and saying, hey, you're trapping people, they say, oh, yeah, I know. That's the point. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, so it's clear that we can use the figure of the trap, right, to think about treachery, to think about trickery and deceit and these ethical issues where uh, humans are not being allowed to fulfill our full agency, we're being treated like animals and so on. Um, and it's usually, right, in this case, about figuring us as essentially vulnerable or as having bad desires, right, as saying the thing that you want is not a thing uh, that you should want. But what we don't see in this use of tra the trap motif is basically a social media is bad kind of argument, is we don't see any of that two-facedness of traps that I described earlier, that thing that I find so interesting about the anthropology of trapping. So where is it? Can we see the hunter and the prey in this trap? Where would we even look, and what would those things look like? And of course, the problem is that recommender systems are hard to see, right? You can't actually look at one. Sometimes they look like this. You know, they look like a flow chart or a diagram that sort of shows you the movement of data or decisions uh, in a system. Often, like in the social dilemma, they look like this. Uh, so here's, they show, you know, three guys like making choices. And obviously there's not three guys uh, inside, of, uh, <laughs> inside of Instagram. There are a lot of guys 
inside of Instagram, <laughs> actually, and they're making decisions in a slightly different way. Um, but you know, these Vincent Carthizer times three uh, is dramatizing this figure that Otis Mason describes in 1900, right? The thought of the hunter locked into the system, right? So they represent in some way what people understand to be uh, the goals, the motivations of the creators of these systems. Um, okay, so what sits at the interface then between the hunters and their prey is literally the interface, right? What passes through this are interactions, tapping, clicking, dwelling, all of these kinds of terms that we use to measure uh, forms of engagement. So this is, um, as Corsini Jimenez described about animal traps, a material and epistemic interface between worlds, between the world of the user as you experience it like out here while you're on your phone while I'm talking, uh, or in, as the developers understand it, right, when they see the sort of inputs that are coming in through their system. So this is the location of what Corsini Jimenez also will describe as mutual describability. It's the interface through which they know you and you know them, or if you're them, through which you know them, et cetera. Um, so, when recommender system uh, developers think about users, no matter how nice or mean they want to be, they often do it through the language of engagement. So, uh, for instance, here's a quote from a, a, a music recommender system developer who says, when listeners change the volume, when they skip songs, when they search or stop listening, they tell us about their taste, right? This is a variety of interactions you might have with the system. That's what you look like uh, in the system. It's not because they don't like you. That's just what it looks like. That's how, that's how these technological systems are built. Uh, so the language of this system, if they're attached on animal behavior, describes us, anyone, um, as a kind of collection of interactive uh, qualities. Right? So on the one side, we have the user represented in this trap as someone who's got time to spend, as someone whose attention and interactions are allocated in ways that indicate their preferences. Right? So you're, you stop on this TikTok longer than another one, that probably means that you like it. But on the other side of the interface, engagement also means something else. Uh, for companies that implement these systems, right, engagement measures are also important to demonstrate growth to investors. So we have engagement doing many things here. right? On the one hand, it's just what you look like in a system. Uh, it's in the technical infrastructure of these systems. Um, on another side, it's what investors want. If you read any blog post by Paul Graham, for instance, he'll say that what you really want to do is just grow the number of users that you have. That's the important thing. That's what you have. And it's also then in these informal models of users that people hold. And they're not hateful models. They're not models that are designed to you know, hurt you. They're actually models that people uh, are building from a place of care. They often want to try to help you. But engagement is very deep in these systems, right? It's not as easy to eradicate as saying, you know what, that treats us like animals, we should just stop doing that, because it's in the very structure of how all of your devices connect to any other device and to the internet. So getting out of this trap requires doing more than just protecting our animal brains from manipulative corporations, right? So we can't just say, well, what if Instagram just didn't show us the likes? Wouldn't that solve the problem? Because of the problems that we feel addicted, we'll just remove that sort of temptation. What this uh, model would suggest is that there's something more, right? The trap itself is engagement-shaped, and getting out of it uh, may require reimagining the basic structure of relations between developers, users, and software systems. So if you like that, uh, that's a bit from my book, uh, Forthcoming Computing Taste, Algorithms and the Makers of Music Recommendation, which you can pre-order now. Uh, <laughs> it'll be coming out in December. Um, but thanks for your time and attention. <laughs>